Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And we're excited to have you join us for this 2019 wrap-up. Uh, I am Tim Grady. I'm here with host Lou Weiss, who is also the sponsor of Manufacturing Talk Radio through his company, All Metals and Forge Group. They are a manufacturer of seamless rolled rings and custom open die forgings. So if you're in the market for either of those two things, Lou, they should call All Metals and Forge Group. Absolutely. We may even say this a couple of times in the next 45 minutes to an hour. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, this is fun. It's enjoyable. I think that uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio and the subsidiary other four pod- business po- podcasts that we have are making a contribution to the manufacturing scene. At least that's what we're told. Uh, so uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's wrap up the year. You got wrapping paper and bows? Absolutely. Let's start with your favorite, the tariffs, which, uh, you know, went in place in 2018 or dragging through 2019 and maybe will be resolved in 2020. Well, it is a hot button for me because um, it's affecting everybody, mostly the citizens of this country. And uh, the big myth is that China is the one being hurt by the $57 billion in uh, tariffs, uh, which, like I said, is a myth. And uh, if you want to talk about hoaxes, that's one of the great ones. Um, Yeah, this has been difficult for uh, not only manufacturing, but for agriculture, uh, for the trucking industry, logistics. Uh, Everybody's being hurt by it. And not only are we losing business by it, but we're also losing dollars, do re mi, dollars. So, yeah, and and I don't necessarily have the optimistic view that uh, you uh, just uh, stated uh, or tried to state about that this may be coming to a head. Um, matter of fact, last week they said that, oh, Friday, last last Friday, Friday before, I don't recall. Uh, oh, uh, the administration has uh, signed a deal or going to sign a deal, and it's almost over. And uh, I I drank the lemonade and I put out a uh, email <laughs> and I said, why did I do that? Because not after that after that comment, there was nothing more. Um, they're just they're just sitting on it along with. Hundred bills on uh, Moscow Mitch's uh, desk. So yeah, so, uh, yeah it's uh, been a, it's been a tough topic. It, it certainly is going to affect manufacturing in 2020. We wouldn't encourage anyone to assume that the original 250 billion dollars in goods being imported from China will not be tariffed any longer. Uh, that particularly was to help the steel industry that didn't help. Uh, for a short term, steel prices went up to on cold roll sheet twenty. Uh, sorry, nine hundred twenty dollars a uh, metric ton or a short ton, and then they went back down to below where they were before the tariffs. So 
Um, you know, the tariffs are a negotiating tool, but they weren't helpful to manufacturing in 2019. We don't expect them to go away in 2020, Lou. I don't think so. And if they do go away, it's going to be only a small portion. I'll take anything, but uh, it's not going to be a complete wipeout. Uh, he's going to he President Trump is going to live with this. He's going to, I think, uh, take chalk this up as one of his uh, successes. Yeah, it could very well be. We certainly uh, needed in some kind of an agreement with China to help manufacturing and our exports no and question. imports. And, and uh, as Chris Keel uh, pointed out in an article he has coming up in Manufacturing Outlook Easing that we publish every month, uh, ours is not the only trade war going on. He highlights uh, half a dozen others that are going on. So Right, right. It's an odd time in in the global economy. I don't think we've ever seen a time where there were multiple trade wars going on like yeah. this. Well, another thing I'd like to point out uh, regarding uh, China and the steel tariffs, China only supplies the United States with 2% of the U.S. importing of steel. So I don't know right. why this has become such a huge deal that everybody's having strokes over. Um, it's it's just not a big enough number to uh, have this trade war over. Um, but, you know, again, it's partly to perpetuate the myth about how, how much of a boogeyman China is. When there are real issues that need to be dealt with, steel is not really one of them. No, it was strictly a negotiating gambit. We'll see how well it works, so... Uh, you bring up an interesting point about China, and I know you've read the book, The 100-Year Marathon. Um, yes. and I'll get you the author. I'll get you the author of that in a moment. I think it's Michael Pilsner wrote a very excellent book on China's 100-year plan to become the dominant global economic and military power in the world. I don't know how far down that road they are, but they're certainly making progress. Uh, they're uh, about 75 years into the 100, and uh, the the author actually uh, was part of the CIA. Uh, he did have to get approvals from the CIA, the Pentagon, and Lord knows who else to write the book and come out with the facts and figures as to what China has been planning uh, for a long period of time. And uh, they, they have, you know, you, you and I talk about strategy, and we sit down for about 10 minutes and plan our strategies. Uh, they <laughs> right. sit down for 100 years talking about what they're going to do, and we just don't see it uh, the way it really is. And uh, they do have a plan, and they are doing things. Matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think they're launching their first aircraft carrier. Uh, yes, either, got either they have or did or will. Um, so yep. they uh, they're sticking to their 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 five year plan times twenty, and uh, it's a fascinating book. Don't read it before going to sleep. I I trust <laughs> me on this. You will not sleep. You will have nightmares. You will get scared. Um, I did that on vacation, reading it at nighttime. It's not a good a bedtime story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took me four nights to read it, and I, I didn't sleep for a week. 
<laughs> just to correct myself, it's by Michael Pillsbury, not Pillsbury, Pillsbury, the 100-year marathon, China's secret strategy to replace America as the global superpower. So moving well, on from China. Well, all, all, kidding, all kidding aside, I think that every businessman or business owner uh, should read that book. It, it is a, uh, it's filled with facts. It's filled with real stuff, no hoaxes, no fake news. It's all real stuff. Uh, it'll give you an insight into what we're in the middle of. And I would agree with you. Every business owner should read it. You're exactly yeah. right. Uh, moving on from China, the other one that has loomed large over 2019 has been the skills gap. And we've talked about it. We've done shows on it for over two years. Uh, the numbers are obvious. There are 10,000 baby boomers retiring a year. There are, according to your number, Lou, uh, sorry, a day. A day, a day a you're 10,000 a day. And there are 4,000 people a day coming into the workforce. So we have a problem. We're operating at an employment um, deficit. And uh, this is the same reason why the Japanese developed the robotic industry. Uh, it was necessity. They lost a whole generation of men in 1940s, uh, and they had to do something, so they came up with the robot. Um, and uh, we're slowly getting there. We're fifth in the world in terms of robotics. Uh, meanwhile, if you were to listen to all the talking heads, uh, unfortunately, the working class, the factory worker, is under the belief that they are uh, two blocks away from losing their jobs because some robot is going to take over. It's not the case. And if anything, it should be a welcome relief to hard labor, uh, difficult to work areas, work environment, that you will wind up being the controller of the robot. Um, right. The robot will be doing all the work that you don't like doing, like heavy lifting, uh, you know, the infamous dark, dirty, and dangerous in part of your job, the robots will be doing. And uh, the, the companies that are buying them, they're, they are buying them left, right, and center because the prices are good. Uh, we've seen some prices, uh, something like $30,000, $35,000 for, and I'm not remembering the name, but, you know, every robot's got a birth name. Um, I, yeah. I, don't remember, I don't remember that one, but um, they do serve a, a valuable service, and uh, it should they be do. looked they should be looked upon as value added, not well, something you know, Lou, that's you and I, jobs. Yeah, you and I have, have spent some time over the course of the last six years dispelling myths and frightening news. And this year there's been, been all kinds of talk about a recession that simply is on no radar screen, according to the statistics that we have watched. But you bring up the point about the skills gap and you and I have read a number of articles that people are writing about robots are taking your jobs, and it just isn't accurate. That's fake news. It's it not true. Is. No. First of all, somebody's got to make these robots. Somebody has to service these robots. Somebody has to install these robots. Yes, you may need to be retrained 
to do another job, but you're not going to lose yeah. your jobs. And it's something that uh, perhaps you shouldn't be afraid of. You should be welcoming uh, change, even if it's, uh, you know, in later years in your career. You know, when my father came to this country in 1900, he was a linotype operator. And most of you probably don't even know what a linotype machine is. It has to do with <laughs> printing, so I won't go into any further on that. But he was a linotype operator. He wanted me to go into printing because he said, Lewis, at least you're going to have a career and a trade that they can't take away from you. Unless, as Chris Keel would say, they right. come up with technology. And the linotype operator disappeared somewhere in the 1940s and 50s, 70 years ago. Right, right. Well, and and that's what all technology does. I mean, they, when they introduced robots in the automotive industry, there was great resistance that there'd be massive job losses. Not the case. The population continues to grow. More people drive cars. More cars have to be built. They just have to be built faster. So they they didn't lose jobs in automation. They gained jobs with automation. The other right. choice is if you don't gain jobs and automate, the company goes out of business, and then you lose jobs. And then you won't get food stamps. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the new, that's the new uh, thing in Washington. 700,000 people are going to go without food stamps come the beginning of 2020. Um, so there's, uh, there's so many issues and so many problems that this uh, – country has that need to be changed, corrected, altered, and really strategized. Um, you know, perhaps perhaps the two parties need to sit down and have what's called a grievance meeting. Instead of having whatever committees they have, call it a grievance committee. Sit down and air it out and get over all the bad feelings that exist in Washington, D.C. today. That might be a good idea. It's pretty toxic here. Uh, I do want to point out to our manufacturers who are listening in terms of the skills gap, I would not rely on the federal government to solve it. I'm not sure I'd rely on the state government to solve it. I know that the counties are trying. The trade schools are certainly trying, and I think they'll come back strong. But at the end of the day, I've, we've heard many manufacturers say, well, yes, but our manufacturing is different. Our skills are specific. And the answer to that is, Lou, they're going to have to train. They're going to have to put in training programs. I know companies in the last half of the 19th, 20th century, from about really about 1960 to 2000, were killing off training programs. They're going to have to put them back in. Well, in many cases they are, and some of them are rather unique and novel. Um, there's uh, a company up in uh, uh, Vermont who made a deal. They have a very small work pool area in that part of the country, and they, didn't e they don't even have enough people to put into a training program. So what they wound up doing, they partnered with two other manufacturing companies uh, within their locale and said, look, let's put together a training program. I've got extra space in my facility that I could use. 
you you guys give me a couple of your guys to do the training, and I'll do some training, and we've got extra machines, and we'll start a, a statewide training program. Well, it, not only did it work and was it successful, uh, but the work pool expanded into surrounding states where kids heard about this and said, hey, I want to do that, and they moved to Vermont, uh, if not only on a temporary basis, but they took the training program, and, and it worked. Uh, there was only one proviso. They had all agreed that you can't steal our employees from each other. That would <laughs> break the deal. But there's all kinds <laughs> right. of novel things going on. Um, in the educational area, uh, there's an organization, nationwide organization, called uh, Virtual Entrepreneurial International, um, who has a program that they effectively sell to uh, high schools for the final year where they teach the kids on how, and it's, a, it's an option, you don't have to take this course, but it is an option, that they teach them how to build a business. And they have to put together a business plan, a marketing plan, and they have to compete. And you know, if you're selected, you won. But that's not the point. The point is that these kids are now being taught on how to build a business. You know, forget about their master's degree. Uh, yeah, it, it's nice to say and nice to have on your resume, but you might be better off because, frankly, we're, we have more shortage in welders than we do in MBAs. And an underwater yeah. welder makes $150,000 a year plus benefits. So there's good reasons why to maybe rethink the college thing, which is a product of the parents who they were taught that, oh, I got to go to college. I got to go to four years of college. And then, of course, it got too expensive. And then they had to borrow money at eight, nine, 10%. And now they're looking to give free education because nobody can afford to pay the bill. So this thing is like one entangled web. Uh, and if anyone listened to uh, recent debates, uh, you would have heard all about this. It's all it's all interconnected, and uh, we don't really have a solution because no one's really sat down to strategize and think it out. No, they've just been arguing in Washington forever, um, at, at least since Trump was elected, and the and the argument just continues to go on. There's an interesting statistic that I've watched in the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Department of Labor, and that is what they call the worker pool, the available worker pool of all able-bodied adults over the age of 18 and, and the participation mm -hmm. rate in the economy. That number never talked about. They talked about the unemployment rate being 3.567%. They talk, That's U, what they call U3. Then they talk about U6, which is everybody actively looking for a job. They've gone to an unemployment office. They're on the radar screen. That's what they call U6, and that's about twice that number. But one-third of the total work, workable population, we have 156 million people employed. There's another 60 million that are not working. They're not right. looking for a job. They're not working. 
That's the available labor pool. We don't have a labor shortage. We have an engagement problem. Yeah, something like. I was down in uh, uh, my hometown of Washington, D.C., um, and actually, I think it was said in one of the debates that Washington, D.C. is the most expensive city in the country. And yet in the area of Georgetown, where all the uh, millionaires, billionaires of both parties live or have townhouses in, right at the corner. And I, I did take a picture of this, and we're, I'm, we're probably going to wind up using that photo because it, it's such a disgrace. Right on the corner of 22nd and M Street, there was a lamppost that was holding up the hut. And the hut was that of a veteran who didn't have a job, living in a hut. He had his American flag draped over his hut. And people just walking by like never saw him. And I found it to be, I actually, I went back the next day to take a picture of it in daylight because it was it's so shocking to see this. And there's something like a half a million people that are sleeping on the streets in this country. There's a work pool there. Not all of them are crazy. Well, yes, uh, surprisingly, uh, Seattle just had a, a, a problem in a conference they had uh, that made the news, but the conference was about how to address the homeless problem. And it turns out that the area around Seattle spends, this is a wild number, a billion dollars a year trying to solve the homeless problem. I mean, you could buy these people mansions. <laughs> they wouldn't be homeless in the car and probably put them on payroll and it'd be cheaper. <laughs> if they did nothing and lived in a nice house with a nice car. And it would cost less than a billion dollars a year. And give them health care. That's right. <laughs> California is doing the same thing. Well, it's a serious problem, uh, one that no one really – you know, there's a lot of lip service. But it's oh, not wow, that they yeah. – yeah, they don't – they're not doing anything about it. And the other topic similar to this is the, um, the federal prison system. Uh, this is a, you know, you and I have done four or five shows on this, um, yes, and, and there are, what is it, two million people are incarcerated in this country. It's the most anywhere in the world, and yeah. uh, and the government, in its infinite wisdom, sold to, sold their prison system to private enterprise, and they monetized it and made it profitable. And one of the interesting things about that uh, that we've learned is that. They're not, they didn't sell it for per prisoner that is in the prison. They sold it by how many beds, whether the bed is full or not. So you may empty your prison, but we're still going to have to pay for the bed. And it sounds like a bad deal to me. And they're supposed to be training the inmates with skills they can use when they get to the outside and then we learn that the skills that many of them are learning are uh, fabric piece work that hasn't been done in this country in 40 years well they have a placement service uh, to put you in thailand where you can get a job running <laughs> yeah. a sewing machine by the way that was a joke they don't have a placement service uh, that would be too clever 
Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very serious problem. And, uh, you know, they're legalizing marijuana all over this country this past year, 2019. Uh, it's almost like uh, marijuana was never illegal. Yes. And, and now that they've gone that route, I mean, I was just reading a story about an inmate who they released after 15 years because he was arrested for having a single one joint on him. I mean, some of the laws, folks, let's admit, are stupid. And what does this have to do with manufacturing? We're taking people out of the work pool for ridiculous reasons. We've got homeless veterans on the streets. We've got uh, who knows how many inmates who probably should never have served time. They should have gone into some kind of a program that we didn't have. We have women underrepresented in the workforce. We've got uh, all kinds of work pool options that we're doing badly with. Yeah, yeah. And there was one ironic note that I picked up when I was in D.C. a couple weeks ago. We have a federal law that prohibits the use of marijuana. But in Washington, D.C., you can walk the streets smoking a joint, <laughs> and it's legal. So talk about conflicting messages. I, I don't get it. You can well, smell marijuana it, all it, over. I think that the politicians, didn't, like so many other things, didn't want to include themselves and exclude the extracurricular <laughs> activities. So hey, maybe that's okay in D.C. <laughs> well, let, let's not pick on the politicians, because we're not a political show. I had another comment, but I... I had another comment. We're not on now, that would it, it, would, it, might, it might upset some people who do have those challenges, uh, but it was it was a dig at the politicians. Lou and I are uh, are polar opposites on the political spectrum, but we agree on one thing: they're all screwed up. I mean, they're just doing a bad job, left, right, and center. They they could be doing so much good for the country, and they're just sitting and bickering and arguing worse than you or I have ever seen it in our voting lifetimes, Lou. I I think the last. Well, Eisenhower never argued because he was always on the golf course. Uh, Harry Truman, he was a low-key, low-mannered, uh, kind of a kind-mannered person, except when the Japanese, uh, not the Japanese, the Koreans uh, did their thing. He got a little annoyed with that. But that was when people were civil, and we don't have Correct. civility. And when you don't have civility in either uh, politics, which stirred up the entire country to become uncivil, then you have uncertainty. And manufacturing puts the brakes on anytime there's uncertainty because they don't know, do I have the people to hire? Am I going to make a product that some PC police is going to object to? I mean, it becomes very unsettling and just to give the listeners an idea of how important manufacturing is, if manufacturing puts on the brakes, the entire economy slows down. They're the driver of the bus. The bus is full of people who are working in the service industry, the manufacturing industry. All of the population is being on a bus 
that manufacturing either drives out of a recession or can drive into a recession. So you really don't want that uncertainty, but we've got it in space. Well, we do, but uh, we should be pleased to know that it's not just here in this country. Uh, Norbert yeah. Orr, <laughs> Norbert Orr uh, has, uh, give, he's uh, one of our uh, regular contributors. Uh, he uh, monitors the purchasing manager indexes in 18 countries uh, globally. And uh, actually his uh, report and scattergram is uh, printed in our uh, manufacturing outlook easing every month. And you can see what countries, and you know, this month's uh, issue, which hasn't come out yet, it'll come out, uh, I think, next week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, or you can uh, send us an email to uh, info at uh, mfgtalkradio.com and ask for the MOE zine or Manufacturing Outlook Easing, and we'll make sure you get a, a, a link to it. Um, but every country is having these same problems. Uh, they are. Ger Germany's in trouble. Uh, France is always in trouble. Uh, uh, England, uh, they now have Boris Johnson, so they got trouble, uh, even though it was a screaming mandate for him, which absolutely blows my mind. But um, it's, it's all over the world now. Yes, Hong Kong is in civil unrest. Uh, the Catalan region of Spain is trying to withdraw from Spain and take Barcelona with it. They have unrest. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, civil uh, disobedience, I think was what they called it, right. going on that, that it's really making it very difficult uh, to kind of gauge where we're going to be in 2020. Uh, you, you had mentioned earlier about the uh, the the book uh, the 100 year marathon uh, regarding China, and very clearly they had a plan regarding uh, Africa, and they are following through. They're, they are going to be taking over China financially. They're pouring money in there, left, right, and center. Uh, they're building manufacturing plants at low labor costs. Uh, actually, lower labor costs than the labor costs in China. So uh, they are going to have their own problems in their own country uh, with regards to that. That they're going to, they're going to, people are going to start losing their jobs because merchandise is going to be coming from two continents away. Right, right. Uh, I, I always read articles about. Uh, Companies getting themselves in trouble because their supply chain includes child labor, and granted, there is some abuse in that arena. I often ask myself, okay, if we tell all of the children you can no longer work, what are they going to do? And in in some areas of the world, the answer is they're going to starve to death. I don't think that's a good solution. I'd rather have the child at 10, 12 years of, of age doing some kind of productive, not break their back or beat them work, and feed them rather than watch them starve to death. makes no <laughs> logical sense. It's, that's true. That's true. And uh, I, I, on MSNBC, uh, Lawrence uh, O'Donnell 
is uh, sponsoring a program for uh, schools in Africa uh, looking for donations for desks, a simple desk. And what that has done for the educational system um, is incredible. They are actually having more kids go to school because they have their desk, it's their property, for the time that they use it. Uh, they're, take, they're also accepting uh, cash so that they can pay for girls to go to school because girls uh, aren't worthy enough to go to free school. They have, they have to pay. Um, so there's some interesting things going on that don't make uh, mainstream media. Oh. Doesn't, the, oh. the, net, the networks don't report any of this stuff. Uh, but there are a lot of things going on that uh, need to be brought out to the surface. And uh, I feel that you and I do a uh, reasonable job on some of this. But there's just so much news out there. We'd have to be on 24-7. And I don't think 24-7 news would work in this country. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. That's uh, the days of CNN. Uh, well, Lou, you bring up an interesting point about Africa. There, are, All the manufacturers in this country need to keep an eye on Africa, either as a potential export market, because half the population of Africa is under the age of 35. That means they're approaching their, their consumer years. Uh, they're becoming more and more educated and English-speaking and able to hold down skilled jobs. As a matter of fact, many of them are trying to immigrate into the U.S. because they have the skill set to do the kind of work that manufacturers need done in this country. So this is the new China. I keep an eye on Africa and read as much as you can because, Lou, you're right, does not show up in the mainstream media. Correct, correct. And going back to uh, a point that we haven't touched yet, but sort of we did, about the work pool. And w one item in, of the potential work pool that, we're not that we haven't talked about is, uh, is the immigration issue in this country. Uh, yes, we have a broken immigration system. So let's fix it. And that's how this country got to be great in the first place, by immigration. Correct. And yep. um we don't. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.